Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I'm Joe Connolly with Neil A. Caruso, the producer and co-host of these podcasts. Today you will hear about some of the many changes happening in education. We'll start with Alex Urea, the founder of Eduscape, a company that teaches teachers how to teach online better. Alex, where's the demand for your business's services coming from right now? Hi, Joe. The, well, the, the demand right now has been... Uh very strong, uh, really since the middle of March, and it's been strong throughout the summer, and now as schools are going back throughout the country, uh, there's a lot of requests for additional professional development, and it's really coming from across the country and also outside the country. But is it from teachers, parents, school systems, who? It's coming primarily from school systems and then teachers, and then parents. But uh, it's a combination. Alex, what are some of the platforms that you train on? Uh, tell, me, tell me some of the names, because there are platforms available on the market now, right? There are, and th- there's two different ways to go with this. A lot of schools and districts are using either the G Suite or Google platform or Microsoft and their Microsoft Teams platforms, which are, are both effective in different ways, but are effective, uh, specifically Google Classroom, using Google Meet, and then Microsoft Teams uh, using what used to be Skype, which is now embedded in Teams. Those are the more of the mainstream flexible tools, both at K-12 and higher ed. Uh, then you've got some learning management systems out there uh, that are more canned in nature, and they were used you know, moderately well prior to, uh, you know, to remote learning. I'm wondering if there's been some type of change in attitude about online learning. We all were thrown into remote learning this spring, and now some parents are starting these school pods and trying to come up with other ways because they have to watch the kids they feel or they feel the kids don't pay attention the same online. How is this affecting the services that you sell? Right now, what's happening is that when this first happened, teachers were trying to copy everything that they were doing in the classroom and putting it online, which is a natural reaction. And so were schools. They were uh, Leadership was saying, uh, take what you're doing in the classroom and try your best online. And what people have learned quickly is that you can't replicate everything you're doing in the classroom, but there are also 
opportunities for additional engagement and differentiation that can happen online. So like about, what? Yeah, for instance. For instance, you can assign certain students that may need extra help specific assignments uh, online that they can do on their own or students that need that are a little more advanced you can give them extra work that they can do online and teachers are learning more how to differentiate that way and that's going to be one of the best takeaways from this whole experience because we can't just look at this as a bridge to go back to normal uh, what it's important for schools and teachers to take away is what did we learn that we could retain when we go back to full-time in-person instruction. And there's a lot of benefits that are being picked up, such as using technology to better differentiate for either struggling learners or gifted learners. Uh, so, so this is something that is a positive. Do you have a sense that schools, as I remember in March at the outset of the pandemic, you said that really schools have resisted this change. Are they dragging their feet? I mean, we're only two weeks away from, from schools, the classes to, to resume. Are they dragging their feet still resisting this change? Or what's your, what's your sense in, in implementing this tool so there isn't that learning loss that you talk about? You know, my sense, Neil, is that school administrators, you know, I always joke with my friends that are superintendents and saying, you must have missed Pandemic 101 when you were in college, right? Because <laughs> it, nobody learned it. Nobody was taught this. You know, so it's tough on school administrators and boards of ed to deal with this kind of change so quickly. And frankly, most people have been crossing their fingers and hoping that things would go back to normal by this school year. And the fact that it hasn't has caught some school districts off guard. But the challenge is that, that they had to prepare for different potential modalities, either a fully in-person back to normal uh, scenario. They had to prepare for totally remote and for hybrid learning. And that's only addressing your general education population. Now, if you get into special ed, that adds a lot of uh, more challenges. And also your uh, English as a second language or English language learners. These are all additional challenges that school districts are facing. And I don't know that uh, any school district um, was sleeping on the job. I just think that there's so much to prepare for. And also, on top of the learning, there's clean and safe environment for the kids in districts that are coming back even part-time. Alex, you're in an interesting position with Educate because you're really at the precipice of something new with technology, even though it's been around. And I'm wondering, you know, if these institutions should be disrupted, if there should be a change, which, what's your indication from parents you speak with? It depends on what their context is. If there's a single child household, it's a lot easier than when there are multiple children in the house because they're all sharing devices or pulling on, on internet bandwidth. So that presents some challenges. But what I'm learning from parents is that some kids are learning better. They're more engaged. And then there are the parents who tell me that their children are less engaged. So it, there's really a mix. And I think that the, the benefits we, that schools have to take away from this is that we can't just cross this threshold at some point and go back to what people want to be, you know, the old normal, because the new normal is going to have to be about how do we use this technology more effectively to reach kids that we should have been reaching better all along using technology. And how do we even look at homework differently? Because there's so much content that teachers have to get through. Maybe we don't do homework the same. Maybe now homework can be an extension 
of the classroom with regular learning happening online after school when things go back to normal. So districts and school leaders have to ask really important questions, not just pray that we get back to normal, but look at look at and reflect on what we're learning as school systems and as educators on what we could retain as being important tools and strategies for us going forward. Joe alluded to this earlier about these learning pods, and I'm, I'm wondering what parents are doing at home to supplement the learning experience. I know that with Eduscape, your main business is working with schools and institutions on implementing this technology, but I gather that you are now working with parents on implementing this remote learning. You're right, Neil. Our, our work has been primarily uh, with schools, but we've intentionally started offering uh, free webinars uh, to parents on how they can better engage their students and keep them on ta- or their children and keep them on task at home. And what they're doing right now to supplement some of the instruction, they're reaching out and uh, going to some supplemental learning facilities. They're putting, I've seen on mommy blogs and groups, even in my town, where a lot of parents are looking for tutors. They're looking for um, college students that are now also learning remotely to come in a few hours a day and tutor their kids. And, and it is a challenge. But what's also happening is that parents need to understand what kinds of environments they need to create for their kids when they're learning at home. And the key thing is to develop routines. Have the kids get up at the same time every day. Give them the lunch breaks at the same time. And also be familiar with the kind of technology that the school is requiring them to use so that the parents know what the kids need to have available for them uh, to be better prepared to learn online and participate in class. Uh, the other thing is for them to have an organized learning space. Uh, some, in some homes, you have multiple children and there's limited space. But whether you have limited space or a lot of space, every child should have an organized place they go to every day uh, to learn remotely. Alex, what is the main advice that you would give to teachers about how to keep the kids learning online engaged and interested and paying attention? It's similar, Joe, to teachers in the regular classroom. Um, Don't lecture. You know, don't sit up at a virtual podium and just speak to your kids. Get them engaged. Use the tools within the platforms that are available to you virtual whiteboarding, the use of video uh, in engaging students, putting out assessments that they can complete. So if, they, if you give them a short lesson, bring in much more frequent assessments so that you know that they're engaged, but at least they're doing some active learning online. They're not just being lectured to. So, we, so it's really the same thing that we ask teachers to do in their traditional classrooms to make it more dynamic and engaging. We have to take those things and put them online. Uh, And it's much more flexible in a way because you can use interactive whiteboards on the screen. You can integrate video. You can do online assessments like multiple choice and things like that. So teachers just have to think about what's engaging in the classroom and replicate that online and find the tools to do it. Business-wise, Eduscape started as a business that taught teachers how to use technology in schools and now you've broadened into a business that teaches teachers how to teach online. Is that basically accurate? Yes, uh, Joe, that's, that's fairly accurate. And, and one of the things that we focus on is 
it's not about the technology. It's really about sound instructional design and pedagogy. So my entire team is comprised of former teachers that have taught an average of 10 years in the classroom. And it's more important that they understand what an engaging classroom where you're able to um, interact with students effectively instead of just pushing content at them looks like. And that allows us to then use the tools that are available in driving that learning better. So we're, we don't have a team of technologists per se. We have a team of educators that happens to know how to use technology effectively to instruct and engage students. And that's what we try and um, share with teachers and school districts that we work with is how to integrate these resources to drive sound pedagogy and instruction, not just use technology for the sake of it, uh, because it's not effective. If you don't, if you're not a good teacher, technology is not going to make you any better. It's going to only accelerate the deficiency. So we try to make good teachers better, struggling teachers good on their way to better, and technology is just another part of their toolbox to do that. And how's business? Where will you take the business from here? Business is good, and I, we're doing really good things right now. Um, we've impacted nearly 72,000 teachers since March 17th. Uh, they've attended our webinars, our online summits, uh, and our virtual trainings that we do. And we're constantly asking what's next, you know, because eventually uh, COVID uh, will go away. We'll go back to in-person instruction. And what we want to make sure happens is that when we return to that normal modality, that teachers retain a lot of what was good about remote and hybrid instruction, the added engagement that I spoke about the use of tools. What this has done that's very positive, it has accelerated the adoption curve of technology for teachers and districts. Uh, one of the things that has also done is it's uncovered the inequities that exist in a lot of our school districts. And it's shown a light on that and pointed out that we need to address the inequities in resources, in internet capacity, in parent engagement. So these are things that we hope are going to be positive takeaways once things return. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. I mean, this really seems like an inflection point on many levels, especially in education and the inequities you mentioned that have been revealed and also revealed in the labor market, which Joe and I have covered in recent weeks on WCBS. But I think a lot of parents, though, really want their kids to be home right now. I mean, I've talked to a number of parents and teachers who have said, look, I, right now this is not the time to be sending kids to school. There are so many questions about how this virus spreads, whether it be airborne and on surfaces. There are just too many unknowns. And since these tools are available, let's use them. And maybe that is a positive that comes out of this, Alex. Uh, I think that when you look at what is available, what has been available, I can speak from experience and recent experience in the last five years of taking classes online that, you know, the remote learning has been there. And frankly, for higher education, students have to do the work at home anyway. They go home and they, they have to teach themselves in a way. They have to learn from the textbook. They have to prepare for exams. So if you're doing it in that you are studying at home, you're, you're studying the way that you should be and preparing for a job and getting a skill, 
then maybe that remote learning is not a bad thing. And, and maybe we have to rethink how we're, we're doing education and how the school day is structured. Maybe that is a positive that comes out of this, as, as Alex, you mentioned. Joe, you, though, have spoken with a lot of parents who have younger kids who are more concerned about the developmental stages. And look, if this pandemic is prolonged and it goes more than a couple of years, then there are legitimate concerns that parents are expressing and you've heard from them about their development. And Joe, this week you spoke with the executive director and CEO of the YMCA Camp Hazen in Eastern Connecticut. Her name, Denise Learned, and she told you that they found a new need and a new opportunity to do something different and, and create a new educational experience as really a business opportunity for them. Camp Hazen will now run supervised online learning centers. What I found so interesting about this is that you are not starting a school system. You are not hiring teachers. You're providing supervisors, some with a degree uh, in education, but you're providing supervisors to make certain that the kids are paying attention and not messing around. That's right. So, so for the most part, um, we're kind of looking at it like a, a supervised study hall, almost, in a, in a sense, and we'll have um, our um, both of our year-round staff and some of our seasonal staff uh, that will be there to help kids get online, to help make sure that they're connecting. Um, if it's a um, if it's a live um, piece that they have to do with the school at that time, they can do that. If it's really just doing some research um, or, or completing an assignment, you know. So so we're not there for the. Um, the actual educational piece of it, we're just there more for the technical side of it, and, and as you said, helping ensure that, that kids are, are getting their work done uh, and so their parents can work. They're inside anyway. Well, the kids wear masks in the groups of 14 while studying. You know, um, right now, um, and what we've been operating on throughout the summer with our day camp program uh, through the state of Connecticut for youth camps, um, all of our staff are required to wear masks. Um, they are in these small groups. And, and stay in the same small group anytime that they are here. Uh, we will be having kids wearing masks while they're inside, uh, but if they can uh, be socially distant and while they're outside especially, um, they will have that opportunity uh, for mask breaks, and, and, and they don't, um, they're not required to by the, by the state. And is the 70-a-day doable? Do you have a sense that that's doable for many families, Denise? You know, it's, a, it's an expense. Um, that parents don't anticipate having um, when their kids are school age. Um, so, so that's a, a real hard question, I think, to answer. Um, you know, they, they understand that they've got to provide uh, programs that cost money throughout the summertime, and yet once they're in school, they don't necessarily have those expenses. So I think it is, it is a burden on families, um, and that's why we're trying to keep it as low cost as possible um, and, and, and provide financial assistance for those families that just can't afford it. Denise says they're getting a fabulous response to these supervised online study halls, and other youth organizations may start providing them too. With Neil A. Caruso, I'm business reporter Joe Connolly. We hope this week's podcast gave you some ideas for your family or your kids or your business. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. 
Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 